welcome to the Clerk Commute Podcast. Where we discuss clerkship content, share up-to-date research, work through interesting cases, and gather position advice for your next rotation. We would like to thank BMO Academic Counseling for sponsoring this episode. BMO Academic Counseling helps students get accepted to medical school and matched to top residency programs. After helping over 55,000 students and a success rate of 93.5%, BMO is a leader in admissions for healthcare programs. As part of their sponsorship to our podcast, BMO is offering all listeners one free session with their admissions advisors. This session can be used to help you with your application documents for either medicine or residency, CASPER prep, MCAT prep, or interview prep. You can use the code BMO free session to book your free advising session. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Clerk Commute podcast. Today, we will be going over COPD. This is a common condition and comorbidity in the general population. Whether you're on an inpatient ward, in an acute setting, or in a family practice office, we want to make sure that you have an organized approach to this patient. This episode was edited by Dr. Ambrose Lau, a staff respirologist at UHN. Before we go see our patient, it's important that we obtain a working definition of COPD and the pathophysiology behind it. Meg, do you remember what COPD is? Well, first, COPD stands for Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease. The name tells us a lot. It's a chronic condition of the lungs characterized by an, an obstruction of lung airflow. This is similar to asthma, which is also an obstructive lung disease. But in COPD, the obstruction is non-reversible, which distinguishes it from asthma, which is defined by reversible airway obstruction. COPD is caused by exposure, most commonly to tobacco smoke, but can also be related to occupational exposures, such as biomass fuels. Since COPD is an obstructive disease, patients with COPD have a reduced ability to push air out of their lungs. So on spirometry, their FEV1, the forced expiratory volume in one second, relative to their FVC, forced vital capacity, is reduced. So we say they have a reduced FEV1 over FVC. That's exactly correct. And there are two processes that contribute to the development of COPD and help explain the clinical presentation, emphysema and chronic bronchitis. Starting with emphysema, this is destruction of the distal alveoli, which leads to a loss in surface area for gas exchange and reduces the elastic recoil of the lung. In emphysematous lungs, there is also a loss of tethering of airways to connective tissue to your lung. The loss of tethering can contribute to small airway collapse. Reduced elastic recoil plus the tendency towards small airway collapse leads to obstruction. The obstruction and the reduced surface area for gas exchange leads to a buildup of CO2 or hypercarbia that causes the patient to increase their respiratory rate. Do you remember the term that is sometimes used to refer to an emphysematous clinical picture? Patients with an emphysematous picture are often described as pink puffers. We can break this down. So we say pink because they are able to compensate for obstruction and reduced gas exchange through hyperventilation so their tissues are adequately oxygenated. Puffers, because they have an increased respiratory rate. That's right. The other process underlying COPD is chronic bronchitis. Chronic bronchitis refers to increased mucus production in the small airways that leads to a characteristic productive cough and a reduction in oxygenation. 
In response to reduced oxygenation of blood in the lungs, the pulmonary vasculature constricts, and this leads to pulmonary hypertension. Pulmonary hypertension forces the right heart to work harder, and this can lead to right heart failure. How about a chronic bronchitis clinical picture? What's a term to help us remember this process? Patients with a chronic bronchitis picture are often described as blue bloaters. Blue because they're cyanotic due to reduced oxygenation, and bloaters because right heart failure can lead to edema. While it helps to understand these two processes separately, they usually coexist in COPD. So now we're going to move on to our main focus for today, which is COPD exacerbations. Do you remember the definition of a COPD exacerbation? A COPD exacerbation is an acute worsening of a patient with COPD's respiratory symptoms. So they would have a more severe cough, perhaps with more sputum production and more intense dyspnea. COPD can vary day to day, but an exacerbation is a change beyond these normal variations and leads to a change in medications. That's exactly correct. There are also more detailed definitions available. One proposed definition for COPD exacerbation is that COPD is an acute worsening of dyspnea with a rating over five on visual analog scale, which can be accompanied by an increase in sputum production and sputum purulence. The laboratory criteria for COPD exacerbation typically includes an oxygen saturation of less than 4% of the patient's baseline stat and a CRP of over three milligrams per liter with no evidence of pneumonia or pulmonary edema on chest radiograph. We can also classify the patient's COPD exacerbation by applying the GOLD criteria, which stratifies the severity of the patient's exacerbation based on the FEV1 value standing alone. So for mild, we have over 80% of their predicted FEV1. For moderate, 50 to 80%. Severe, 30 to 50%. And very severe, less than 30% of their predicted FEV1. Now that we've covered the basics of COPD, let's work through a case. Today you are the CC3 on our internal medicine ward who has just received an urgent consult to see Mr. S, a 75-year-old man who is becoming increasingly dyspneic. When you walk into the room, you see a man who looks to be in acute distress. He is hunched over in a tripod position, using accessory muscles for breathing, and has pursed lips. He is short of breath with every word. Can you explain to us why a patient with COPD exacerbation might present with pursed lip breathing? Hmm. Well, from what I recall from our pathophysiology discussion earlier, and some of what we learned in pre-clerkship, in COPD, the patient has difficulties moving air due to a number of reasons, including mucus accumulation in the airway and loss of airway integrity and elasticity. Because of these changes, the small airways have a tendency to collapse and there's less pressure generated to support exhalation. By pursing their lips, patients can create back pressure that increases the pressure in the small airways while they exhale. This splints the airways open, and by keeping them open longer, the lung can empty more. That's exactly right. The fancy physiology term for what you're referring to is the generation of a positive end expiratory pressure, or PEEP. So what would we want to ask about our patient on history? Well, we first want to make sure that we ask about the patient's his history of COPD. We want to ask when and how the original diagnosis was made. We also want to ask about when he first started having exacerbations, the time since his last exacerbation, the number of exacerbations he is having in a year, and whether or not the patient has had to have ventil 
ventilatory support in the ICU. It's also important to know if he is up to date on all of his vaccines and if he uses home oxygen. That's good. There are a couple other parts of the history we'd want to make sure we touch on that relate to his lifestyle that are really important for a COPD patient. Do you remember what they are? Oh yes, we need to ask about the smoking history as well as the occupational history and whether or not he is taking his medications as prescribed. Excellent. It's especially important to ask about medication adherence. Poor medication adherence significantly increases the risk of an exacerbation. Mr. S reports to you that he was diagnosed with COPD by his family physician 10 years ago by spirometry. He couldn't recall exactly what his number is, but he thinks his FEV1 over FEC ratio was around 0.65% when he was diagnosed. He mentions to you that he had no exacerbations in the first five years after his diagnosis. He recalls having only a few exacerbations for the first while starting about five years ago. But in the last year, he mentions that he has had three exacerbations and adds that his COPD is becoming horribly interruptive of his life. He tells you that he has been in the ICU twice in the last year, but couldn't remember the length of stay for each. He has a 60-pack year smoking history, and he worked for an industrial pesticide company for 50 years before his retirement. He has been prescribed a Brio Ellipta inhaler with combined ICS plus lava, 100 micrograms inhaled daily, and takes hydrochlorothiazide 25 milligrams daily for his hypertension. He mentions that he forgets to take his inhaler sometimes, but can't remember how many times per week this happens. What should we do next? Next, let's move on to the physical exam. Perfect. What's up first? Let's get his vitals. His vitals are heart rate 112, blood pressure 150 over 95, oxygen saturation 83% down from 88 baseline, respiratory rate 30, and a temperature of 38.7 degrees Celsius febrile. What do you think of these? All right, this has me worried. His SATs are clearly down by at least 4% from normal. His blood pressure is elevated. His heart rate is up. He's breathing rapidly and he is febrile. Yeah, these are pretty concerning results. What would you examine next? I would do his cardiovascular exam and respiratory exam next. For his cardiovascular exam, there's a normal rate, regular rhythm, and normal S1, S2 sounds with no murmur, no putting edema bilaterally. For his respiratory exam, the patient appears to be in acute respiratory distress, tachypnic, audible wheeze, decreased air entry bilaterally. The patient struggles to finish his sentence due to shortness of breath. Bilateral wheeze is audible at the lung bases and prolonged expiration is heard. Are there any investigations you would like to order? Let's do arterial blood gases. In addition, I'd like to get an ECG. Nice start. Why the ECG? Uh, well, with the history and physical, I'm a bit more suspicious of obstructive lung disease, but I absolutely want to make sure that I don't miss a myocardial infarction. Good idea. It's important to not jump to conclusions because that could lead you to miss something important. There's also another reason to get the ECG. Patients with COPD with uncontrolled exacerbations can also develop something called pulmonale. In pulmonale, the pulmonary arteries become stiffened due to increased exertion. This leads to right ventricular dilatation and subsequent straining on the heart, which can be detected on ECG. Anything else that you'd like to order? Maybe a chest X-ray, CBC, and some electrolytes. If it's cold and flu season, I would consider adding a nasopharyngeal swab. Good thoughts. I agree with you. I think that a chest X-ray would be wise decision given his presentation. 
Mr. S has purulent sputum, and we must be prudent not to miss an ammonia, which is a potential trigger for an exacerbation. A nasal pharyngeal swab is also prudent in a patient with a COPD exacerbation because this could give us information about an upper respiratory tract infection, which is another potential trigger. So here are the results for the chest X-ray, nasopharyngeal swab, and ABG. Chest X-ray shows bilateral hyperinflation of the lungs, the diaphragm appears flattened, heart appears normal in size, and bilateral consolidation is noted. Nasopharyngeal swab reveals streptococcus pneumoniae, indicating a probable bacteria pneumonia. ABG results show a pH of 7.3, which is low with the normal range being 7.35 to 7.45, a PaCO2 of 54 milligrams of mercury, which is high with the normal range of being 38 to 42. His bicarb is 25 milliequivalents per liter with the normal being 22 to 28. So now that you have some investigation results, what is our management plan? It looks like we have an uncompensated respiratory acidosis. I'm concerned about his low oxygen saturation. Maybe he needs supplemental oxygen. I also think he will need to be given a short acting bronchodilator along with broad spectrum antibiotics. I think that's a good start, but there are a few things I would like to highlight that we should be thinking about in our management of this patient as well. For a COPD exacerbation, you would want to think about using an inhaled anticholinergic and an inhaled beta-2 agonist and an inhaled corticosteroid. The best evidence suggests that first-line therapy for an exacerbation like this is going to be ipratropium, an inhaled anticholinergic, which can be given as 0.5 milligrams in a nebulizer every one to two hours. The patient should also be put on albuterol, an inhaled beta-2 agonist, via nebulizer in the range of 2.5 to 5 milligrams every one to two hours. Corticosteroids need to be given at 40 milligrams per day at five days. If there's an increasingly purulent production of mucus, then we can think about antibiotics. I'm also worried about his oxygen saturation. I think that the drop in his CO2 sat is pretty concerning and I would put him on oxygen as well. We should think about getting him enough fraction of inhaled oxygen to get his partial pressure of oxygen to 55 to 60%. That sounds pretty reasonable. I'm pretty worried about him and was wondering about supporting his ventilation since his respiratory rate is very high and he has acidemia. Yes, that's a good point. In this scenario, I agree. I would not wait long to give him ventilator support with positive and expiratory pressure, or PEEP. By increasing his airway pressure above that of the atmospheric pressure, we will avoid passive emptying of the lung. When would you consider an ICU admission? Well, I think that would depend on how he progresses on our management plan. If we can't get his PaO2 up into the 55 to 60 range, if he continues to have worsening respiratory acidosis despite therapy, or if we can't get him hemodynamically stable, then I'm thinking about intubation. All good points to consider as to when we should be consulting the ICU. All right, good work today. We'll carry out our management plan and continue to monitor his vitals. I hope you are all feeling more prepared to handle a COPD exacerbation during your internal medicine rotation. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Clerk Commute Podcast. Catch you on your next commute.